Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. I'm excited about today. Uh, Last night we got home at 11 o'clock with students from our winter retreat, and then I slept in as long as I possibly could have today, and so I'm going to try to bring energy, all right? Try to bring as best I can right now. Uh, But we're we're finished up this What is Love series. We actually got one more week after this. Love preaching out of this 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Uh, There's so much here. And as we get into it today, um, I want you to think about failure a little bit, because that's a little bit what's going to come up in this part of of this passage. Uh, I hate failure. Failure to me, it's like the bane of my existence. I don't like to fail at anything. We, a couple months ago, we had a guy from uh, our Beloit campus. He came here to church. Uh, he was coming up to talk about something with uh, men's ministry. And that morning, he just happened to have his brother from northern Wisconsin around, and, and he came to church. I had actually coached basketball against his brother. And the, the guy from Beloit, he told me afterwards that he was talking to his brother when they left, and all his brother had to say about me was, that guy is competitive. And some of you would be like, man, I wouldn't want to be known as that. And I'm like, yes, I love it. Uh, I, don't, I don't enjoy failing at all. Uh, but failing is not always the worst thing. I, I love something that Simon Walker writes. He says, once failure has been identified as the arch enemy, the possibility of taking risks diminishes. See, failure is not the worst thing. I think a lot of times it's our fear of failure that becomes the worst thing. When we start to fear failure, uh, we're not willing to take risks that actually help us do awesome things. Um, but as much as we, we, don't, we don't like failure and we don't want to fear failure, failure is something that happens. And um, thinking back to, to my childhood growing up, academics was always something that, not, I don't know if it came super easy to me, but I studied hard and I, I didn't fail at stuff. I can't remember an assignment or a test that I got an F on when I was growing up, which is why I remember a certain report I got uh, a grade on back when I was a freshman in college. So I'm at UW-La Crosse, and it's an English class, and we had to do a, uh, we had to read the book, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and then we had to do a report on it. And I am not the best reader. I... I am a slow reader. For some reason, I can never figure out how to read fast. When I read a book, a lot of times what it is, how you would read it out loud, that's what I do in my head. I don't know how many, but some people, they read books so fast, I'm like, there's no way you know what's happening in that book. It drives me nuts. My mom, she'll just skim through stuff. I'm like, mom, you're not even enjoying it. Like, chill out a little bit, slow down. But that first semester of college, I'm I was struggling because there was so much reading. I'm like, I got to learn how to skim read. And so I took this book, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and I'm like, I'm going to like skim the first sentence of every paragraph, and I'm going to look for big words and see if I can figure out what this book means. And so I did it, and I, I got through the book. I'm like, hey, I did a great job. I know the book. And I wrote a report on the book. And I thought, man, I, I handed it in. I'm like, she's not even going to know that I barely read this thing. This is awesome. I, I did a great job. Got the report back with a big F on it. And I was absolutely devastated. I'm, I'm like, There's, she doesn't know who I am. I don't get Fs. What is wrong with this professor? And so I, I made an appointment to go in and see her. And I'm like, hey, I just, I'm just curious. Like, why, why an F? She's like, well, it's pretty obvious why. Oh, yeah, why? You didn't read the book. 
And I was hurt because I actually thought I had read the book, you guys. Like, I legit thought I knew what was going on in the book. And she proceeded for the next five minutes to tell me all the reasons why I didn't actually know the book at all. Had no clue what was going on. And so, uh, nice thing was, is it, it does pay to go in and talk to a teacher. She at least gave me a D. I think she looked at it and she's like, this poor boy, his brain is not very good and he is not going to get married. So I at least got to do this for him. So she gave me a D and it was awesome. And from that moment, I, I stopped trying to learn how to skim read for a long time because I was not good at it. I could tell I was not good at it. Um, something about failure uh, just stinks for any of us. We all, we all go through it. We all have things that we fail at, uh, but it is not fun. And this passage says something about failing that I think makes it a really compelling passage that we're going to look at. And it starts off with one little sentence. And a lot of us, we know what this sentence is. When I say it, you're going to know that you've heard it before. And it says, love never fails. Love never fails. We've all heard it. And you probably have even listened to it, you're like, oh, that's so beautiful. But if you really think about it, some of you are like, that's baloney. It seems like love fails. How can it be? How can love never fail? Everything that we know in life fails at least at some point in some regard. Love can't really not ever fail, can it? Like, it almost seems like a typo. You look at divorce rates, sure seems like love fails. You look at friendships that go by the wayside, it sure seems like love fails. There is one love in my life that I would love to fail. I would love to stop loving the Vikings. Because every year, it's bitter disappointment at the end. Stop clapping. I don't know who that was. I can't see you right now, but I know where you sit. Um, one of the girls on the drive home last night, she's like, hey, who are you going, who do you want to win in the Super Bowl? I'm like, the Vikings. No, no, between the Chiefs and the 49ers, the Vikings. It's just always going to be that answer. Um, love never fails. It's a hard thing for us to kind of conceive of, I think. And so as we're, as we're finishing up this series in the next two weeks, what is love? And, and looking again into 1 Corinthians 13 today, we're confronted with this idea that love is perfect, it never fails. But how can this be true in a world that we look around us and we, we look at love and it's like, ah, it just seems like it doesn't, it's not always enough. So we're looking at verses 8 through 12 in this chapter. I want you, it's going to be up on the screen. It already is up on the screen, so we're going to read it right now. Uh, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the, the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Some of you, as I was reading that, I, I hope you weren't like, well, let's see how bad of a reader he really is. Um, I feel like I was stumbling through and you were judging me. Um, as always, it is important for us to think about some of the aspects of the context to which Paul is talking about uh, to this Corinthian church. This letter, it is obviously, it's to, it's to the church in this city named Corinth. And they had some unique set of circumstances that Paul was speaking into. Uh, the believers here, they were a very spiritually gifted group of people. 
you, you walk into their church. We talked about it a few weeks ago. You walk into their church and things are going to be happening in their church that are not typical to see in most churches. They're doing things on a spiritual level that it, it might even look astounding to some people. But a lot of the stuff that they were doing, it wasn't backed up really well with a love for the people around them. They were exercising spiritual gifts, but love was kind of lacking. They were immature people. They lacked uh, a love and a mutual respect for each other. And this would undermine God's purposes for them as a church. Again, they were active in the gifts of the Spirit, but they weren't necessarily active in the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the things about the church in Corinth is they were a lot, a lot of them were new believers. They were new believers and they were excited about stuff. They had enthusiasm. Uh, enthusiasm is a good thing a lot of the time. But with enthusiasm, we make mistakes. Uh, some of you might have been, as you were watching the Super Bowl, you might have seen a situation that happened. One of the best players on the Chiefs, Travis Kelsey, tight end. One of the greatest tight ends of all time. Uh, the, the Chiefs were driving down the field. They fumbled. They lost the football. And he's coming off the field, and he's angry. And he actually went up to Coach Reed, who is one of the best coaches of all time. And he's screaming in his face, even bumped him a little bit. Uh, and now after, after the fact, Kelsey said, yeah, I was, I was out of line. I, I didn't do what I should have done. But I loved what, what Coach Reed did. Coach Reed didn't freak out. He understood that he had a player coming to him who was enthusiastic about one thing, and that was winning. Now, I'm not saying that how he responded to his coach was good, but what the coach did, he responded so well to, to his player, realizing that, okay, your enthusiasm is part of what makes you so great. Not everything that comes with enthusiasm is awesome, but your enthusiasm is what makes you great. And, and Paul had to realize in this situation that he's got this church, they were doing a lot of things wrong. They were doing communion wrong. They would, they would get together and they would, they would eat and they would gorge out on all this food and some people would be hungry and they wouldn't get to eat because they were being selfish with it. They didn't worship the right way all the time. They, they flaunted their spiritual gifts. They were trying to outdo each other in worship. But it was enthusiasm. They were the most enthusiastic church around. And Paul knew he could at least work with that. Uh, Paul had to temper this enthusiasm with some instruction. But it's better to have to control a fire than to start one. I love that idea. This Corinthian church, Paul knew that it was easier to try to, to kind of control the fire than having to start one. And now, I want us to be people that we don't need a fire started within us. I want to be a person that I don't need God or somebody else to come in and set a fire in me. I want, I want there to be a fire that at least God can come and help control that fire. And so they're practicing this new faith and they've got all this, these issues. There's, there's people in this church who are they're drunks and they're adulterers and, and they're sexually promiscuous and all this kind of stuff. Uh, they're, they're going into the pagan temple meat markets and they're self-promoters. All these things. But Paul says, you are still the church. No matter what's going on, you are actually the church. And this city, was a, it wasn't a small city by any means. It was about 500,000 people in the city. And it was a city that was known for its paganism. It was known for prostitution, all kinds of immorality. And so this church was young and it was struggling through problems. And these, these new believers, they were trying to kind of extract themselves from the culture that they lived in. They were trying to, to become different from what the culture was that they lived in. That, that's kind of us to a T. 
we are, we are having to live in a situation where we have to be countercultural. Our culture, it's, you know, Paul was writing to a people that they were kind of living in a pre-Christ culture. We're kind of living in a post-Christ culture, a, pro, a post-Christian culture. And both of those things can be difficult to live in. We, we have to be countercultural, And that's what he's calling us to. See, Paul's hope in, in all of his writing is to win people back to Jesus. It's what he's, his whole aim is for. And to win a city like Corinth over to Jesus, it was going to take something exceptional. And I think Paul understood as good as anybody that there is nothing more exceptional that people can come to understand than what the love of Jesus looks like. What true, real love looks like is something that will transform people. And so Paul is trying to to kindle that kind of love in this Corinthian church. A love that changes people. It's a love that actually Jesus talked about with his disciples. In John chapter 13, he's sitting around talking to his disciples and he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now why is he saying that this is a new command? Uh, It seems to me like this is a command from long ages ago. It's not a new command in, in the sense that it's something different. It's a new command in in the sense of he wants people, followers of Jesus, to have a fresh understanding of what it looks like to love people. He wants loving people to be so fresh on our minds. Loving people well is always supposed to be something so fresh on our hearts and minds that it never becomes old or stale. How often does loving people become an old thing to you, becomes stale, becomes a thing that you don't really feel like doing? Loving people well should never become unexciting to us because that kind of love truly never fails. Actual love never fails. Now, we can fail to continue to love well. And a lot of times that's when we think, oh, love, love actually, this verse, love never fails, it's not right. We think it's not right because we have not usually carried out love to its fullest. And so then it, it seems to fail. But that's our doing. The only way that that a culture is going to be swayed away from from living apart from God is for us to show what real love actually looks like. See, I think some Christians, we get deflated sometimes when we look around the world and we see that this world is kind of moving further and further away from a God-respecting way of life. And something that that I I try to bring out for us as much as possible it should actually excite us to know that we live in a world where there are people far from God. Not that we should be excited that people are far from God, but it, if, you have, if you have like the competitive gene in you, like there's something actually fun about having a challenge. Do you have a friend in your life who needs to know who Jesus is? That's a, that's a fun thing to get to try to help them see who Jesus is. But the only way that it actually happens is if we love that person the way that Christ loves us. C.T. Stud, Stud, C.T. Stud. Uh, he's an English missionary back, uh, he's born in 1860, lived till 1931. He was a missionary in China, India, and Africa. And he wrote something that I was reading and I, as I read it, I was like, ooh, that's really, really good. He said this, some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Some of us, we want so bad for everything and everyone around us to be 
Christ-centered, for, for everything to be Christian around us. And he's saying, man, I want to go and I want to be with the people who are one step away from hell. It should excite us to be able to be the people that Paul is talking about here where we get to love with a love that never fails, the kind of love that Jesus gives to us. And we get to show people who don't know that love, we get to bring that to them. We get to help them see what Jesus looks like. That's actually a super exciting thing. And any moment that you get to have that, that's why I love our, I love our Wilson team that goes in for, for kids midweek at Wilson Elementary because they have, they've grown this excitement knowing that they're going to go into to this school of kids that a lot of them, they're, they're, they're interesting in how they get angry at each other. And they're interesting in how they react to things. But we know they need the love of Jesus. And it's exciting to be able to, to show that to them. This message from Paul in this passage, the message from Jesus to his disciples in John 13, saying, I expect you to go out and show people that you're, you're mine because of your love. The message seems to be this. The world is going to know you by your love. And love never fails. Actual true love never fails. It never fails in telling the actual true story of who God is. That is what we're trying to do. When we love people, what we are doing is little by little, we are, we are showing people the true story of God. Ultimately, that story was lived out by God sending his son Jesus for us. And so every moment that I spend loving people with a love that never fails, I am, I am leading them towards the concept of who it was that Jesus is for us. God is love. When we love someone, we open that person's world to knowing God's nature. 1 John 4, 8 actually says the words, God is love. This is why I think love breaks down barriers unlike anything else. There is like a supernatural component to love. And the reason for that is, is because that is who God is. It doesn't say that God is like love. God is love. The very character of God is found in love. And so there is power in that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.4 says, The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. And later on, Paul talks about how one of those weapons is actually love. 1 Thessalonians 5.8. He says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Love is not just something that is, it's a good thing that God says that we're supposed to try out sometimes. Love is the very weapon that we use to fight against the enemy of God. It's the very weapon that we use to, to win a battle for God. Love is the most important thing. So people are going to know us by our love. But what happens when we don't love? There are a lot of people who've been turned off to God because the church, the people of the church, have failed to love the way that Jesus loves. And this is something I think we, we talk about once in a while. I think it's important to always talk about it because we have to keep in mind that as a church, we have got to be people that people can look at and say, that's what I want to follow. And the only way is if we're loving people well. Anytime a group of people come together, there is a, there is a chance, a possibility that things are going to blow up in a bad way. It doesn't matter if it's a sports team, a workplace, a family, um, a school board, a classroom, or a church. When you bring people together who have 
free-thinking ideas and they have the, the possibility of making mistakes, you have the possibility of things messing up. Bad things can happen. Some of my own good friends in my world that I've, I've grown up with and they followed Jesus for a while, um, they've chosen to walk away from that path because of the hurt that they've experienced from church, from church people. You know people like that. Some of you in this room are uh, maybe even contemplating is this thing all real because I don't experience this love that never fails from the people around me that say that they follow the Jesus whose love never fails? We have to be people that showcase the love of Jesus the right way. It's not that what happens in a church when there is hurt, it's not that what happens in a church is worse than what happens out there in the rest of the world. But there's something in us in the back of our minds that we know this is the one place where people should actually experience love the right way. And so when it doesn't happen, it is incredibly destructive. Now, I say all that, but I also want to say where we're at as a church, Central Christian Church, especially here at the Janesville campus, I know there is something really good going on. There is something absolutely beautiful happening in this church. Um, you guys walk in here, even just talking with a few today, and like an excitement of there's just there's something right here. People care for each other. People treat each other well. But here's the thing. We can't just assume that will always be the case. It takes humility and it takes maturity for a church to continue on and to remain in that kind of loving presence. Again, looking back at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Paul says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. You've all watched how children behave, how children play. Uh, maybe you've had a friend come over to the house and, and is a family friend and they've got kids your own kid's age. And you're, you're sitting in the kitchen, you're watching your kids play in the backyard and you're like, oh, isn't it nice to see that our kids like each other like we like each other? They're so great. They, they're playing with each other. And you turn your back and 14 seconds later, little Johnny's running into the, the kitchen, slams the door, breaks the glass and he's screaming, he's crying, he's mad. All because Henry took a worm out of the ground, and Johnny thought, hey, this is my backyard, that's my worm, give it back. And World War III ensued. This is how kids act. Kids are crazy. What's crazy is we as adults sometimes bring on that same immaturity. When we act in the, in the kind of immature, childlike ways that sometimes we act like, it gives people a reason to look at the church, to look at the people who represent Jesus and say, if that's the representation of God, I want nothing to do with it. There's, there's, there's nobody that can, that can help the, the, the people in our lives follow Jesus more than people who follow Jesus, but there's nobody who can hurt people from coming to know Jesus than the people who follow Jesus. And it all comes back to how we love. We're supposed to become adults and put the, the ways of childhood behind us, Paul says. And if we do that, we can be humble and we can live in harmony with people in the church who don't necessarily do things like how we want them to do it. But if we don't put away our childish ways behind, what happens is humility goes out the window. Sometimes I've seen people aim to make the church exactly how they want the church to be. And so when somebody comes in and, and, and they want to do something different than what you're, you're, 
you're wanting it to get pushed in that direction, all of a sudden love goes out the window. And you see that churches become these places where it, it becomes this little petty clique where people are backfighting against each other. How in the world is that the example of the perfect love that Jesus talks about? How is that supposed to be a representation to the world that we live in? We can't be that. Love never fails, but our childish ways sure can fail. How many of you can look at the last fight that you had maybe with your spouse and you're like, yeah, it was pretty childish. I'm not going to air any of my dirty laundry right now. Uh, but definitely, I, I can look back at some of the fights. Uh, and it's not like we fight, fight, but hey, you're married 20 plus years. I just forgot if it was 21 or 22. I think it's 21. That would, it could have caused a fight right there. Um, you, you're married long enough, you're going to have a couple dis disagreements and half of them are really childish. Love never fails, but our ability to put petty things behind us and act like adults can fail us all the time. And when that happens, we don't love people well. It is a mark of maturity to be able to love another human being well, even when loving them becomes a challenge. It is challenging to love people sometimes. And, and sometimes what we do is we like to put the blame on somebody else that it's their fault why we're not able to love them. Go to a playground at school. It's crazy the things that you can, you can see there. Again, Johnny's on the playground. He hit, he hit Henry this time. And you go up to Johnny, you're like, Johnny, why'd you hit Henry? Well, last week he said my shirt was really stupid. And so he walked by me and he just had it coming. He, he deserved it. I remember what he said last week and I was like, I'm not going to take it anymore. So I hit him. And I'm like, you've been playing with him for the last six days like you were best friends. Yeah, well, I can't stand him now. That's, that's how kids are on the playground. If you don't believe me, just come, come to Kids Midweek for a, for a week. Well, well, you'll see some stories. You see the immaturity when you see this kind of behavior in a kid. But let's be honest. Most of the time that we fail to love well, there's an immaturity that's, that's just kind of lurking there underneath the surface in us. Something that we're not willing to let go. Something that, oh, they, they did something that has caused me not to be able to love them right now. We're not doing things right if we are just content in knowing that we're saved, but we're not willing to become matured in Christ. There's one thing here that seems to be the, the thing that Paul is calling us to, one thing that seems to be the aim that God has for us, and that is to love better. He's asking one thing out of us, to love better, to put away the childish ways that we, that we tend to live in and to grow into maturity, to grow into Christian adulthood, you could call it. And that's to love better. If love never fails, then if we are growing in love, we are never going to fail. Simple as that. Sure, you might fail at your job some days. You might not execute the, the duties at your job the way that you're supposed to. That's okay. You might have failed to do some of the things that you felt like your kids needed you to do today. It's okay. You might have lost the big game for your team on Friday. I remember uh, a sectional basketball game my sophomore year. I had nine turnovers in the game. I cost my team the game. It wasn't a fun feeling. But none of these failures mean that you've failed. There's really only one failure I think that can happen in our lives that, that is going to cause us a, a true disappointment to set in. And that's the failure to love people the way that Christ has loved us. 
What we need to do in order to put childish ways behind us and to love people well is we need to learn to respond to people's worth, not to their behavior. When I'm struggling with somebody, I've got to learn to respond to their worth, not to their behavior. And where do we find their worth? Go back to Genesis chapter 1. God created mankind in his own image. Genesis 1.27, he created mankind in his own image. If you're wondering about a person's worth, every single person that you look at, every single person that annoys you, every single person that you're driving next to and they did something stupid, that person was created in God's image. Every person has the beauty of God placed on them by their creator. The same beauty that, that you're like, I know God's put some beauty in me. He's put that same beauty in the person that you're being called to love right now. We don't always see the image of God in somebody else. But it's there every time. And a mature follower of Jesus is going to look to see that image of God in somebody else. I wonder how many of you feel like you don't have a good poker face when it comes to like people making you mad. Is it hard for you to hold it in? I know for me, I have the worst poker face ever when I'm annoyed at somebody. My wife sometimes says, she's like, you got a bad face. I don't, I believe in my heart she's not saying I'm ugly. Uh, I believe that. What she's saying every time is, when you're annoyed, everybody can see it and you just look like a jerk. And it's true. I, I, there's, it's like this childish way that I, I, I struggle to hold it in sometimes. But I'll tell you what's even harder. As much as it is hard for me to keep my face looking in a, a loving way, it is really hard for me to not let my heart, get, my heart get hardened. I don't know if any of you struggle with that. When it comes to people that, that it's hard to love, so easy for my heart to just become absolutely hardened to that person. And it would take a move of God, an act of God, for my heart to become softened to where I will love that person in a kind way. God is calling us to see the image of God that he has placed in every single one of us. It's as if sometimes I want to keep disliking people. It's like there's something in me that sometimes like I, I enjoy the feeling of this, this childlike behavior of, of holding on to my frustration and, and keeping it there. It's crazy to think that sometimes I don't want to change for the better. It reminds me of uh, the show Friends. Monica was telling her husband on the show, Chandler, like, you got to do this one thing to make yourself better. He goes, if I do that, it'll make me better. And that's not the man that you married. Sometimes I feel like that with Crystal. This is what you married. You really ask me to be better than that, you know? How do we not want to become better? How do we not, why do we not want God to soften our hearts so that we can love with a love that actually never fails? There's one of two outcomes that comes when we choose to love people authentically and unconditionally. One, it transforms the person we're loving in some good way. And or it transforms my heart in some good way. When we, love, when we love for real, the way that Jesus loves us, love never fails because it is going to bring transformation. It might not transform the person that you're loving, but it is at least going to transform your heart. Every time that I choose to, to, to allow God to soften my heart for a person that I'm struggling with, it makes me better. Sometimes it's frustrating because he's always right. 
He wants my heart to be right. He wants my heart to be healthy. And the only way that I get to that place is if I love people the way that he's loved me. If I choose to see the image of God that's in somebody else's life. Maybe you feel like love has failed you in some way this morning. You hear that statement, love never fails, and it, you actually balk at it. You're like, oh, that, that actually hurts to even hear because that's not how I've sensed it. The only way that love fails is if we choose to give up on loving someone well ourselves. Love will transform hearts. Love sometimes hurts, but it's always worth getting there. You can't tell me that the love that Jesus gave for us by going to the cross for us didn't hurt him. But I also know that Jesus would do it over and over again if that's what he had to do for us. Even though not everybody accepts the love of Jesus and what he did on the cross to forgive us, he would say every single time it was worth it all the way. Even love that hurts is worth it. Today, maybe you need to take a, a, a step by recommitting your heart to a love that cannot fail. Maybe, maybe what that is is you just, you've never accepted the love that Jesus has given to you, what he did for you on the cross. And maybe that's what you gotta do today. Okay, Lord, my heart's been hard to who you are. I've seen the way that people treat people, even people that follow Jesus, and it hasn't been what I thought it should be. And so I've kept my heart at a distance from you. But your love is perfect. Your love never fails. And I'm gonna accept that this, this morning. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is that there's a person who you've given up on, who you've chosen to stop loving, who you've chosen not to see as though they have the image of God in their life. Loving a person cannot fail. But our failure to keep loving a person fails every time. Will you choose today to, to, to get back to loving that person with a love that never fails? I believe that kind of love transforms hearts. I believe that a lot of us in this room, we've been transformed by that love that Jesus has given to us. So my question for us is, what, what are you willing to do to commit your heart to loving like this, to a love that never fails, a love that keeps on going no matter how hard it gets, a love that keeps on going even when my heart has gotten hard, I'm willing to say, God, I need you to soften my heart again because I'm not in the place you need me to be. I want that kind of love that never fails. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.